Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On this week's show, we speak with Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals owner Ted Leonsis in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Right now, just a story. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi-Williams, and it is huge. It is about Urban Meyer. <laughs> let's let's start, first of all, let's clue in people about the story for people who may not know what is going down now at Ohio State. All right, well, I can do that part. Uh, Urban Meyer's assistant coach had been accused of domestic assault uh, years ago. And in essence, Urban Meyer had said that he became aware of the situation at a certain point. Now it seems with some reporting that from Brett McMurphy that Urban Meyer was aware of the situation prior to when he said so. There was a news conference, I believe you're talking about, where he said, uh, I don't know, or something like that, whatever. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, not only... Because the guy's no longer on the staff. He defended the guy. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's a few, I mean, obviously a number of of problems here. Um, One of which is is Urban Meyer potentially lying to to media about what he knew and when. The bigger issue, obviously, is, is that if he was indeed aware of this specific incident years ago... It appears as though he did not go through the proper protocol that, you know, Title IX and, and other various Ohio State uh, bylaws require of employees. Um, and that will be, I mean, that's the thing that he's on paid administrative leave right now. Uh, there but, but is let's an investigation, just, let's obviously. Let's not just say he's on paid administrative leave. That is a huge story in the world of college sports because this isn't just any old coach. This is Urban Meyer, and this is Ohio State, where football is everything. Yeah, outside of Nick Saban, he's right. the the clear number two biggest name coach, one of the highest and paid in the country. This remember the also at university. Remember when Gordon Gee was the chancellor, or the president, whatever the title president. was, and he was talking right. about Jim Tressel, also a pretty darn big figure in college sports. And somebody asked him if he was going to fire him for some whatever the transgression was at the time, and Gee said, "Fire him." I just hope he doesn't fire me. Yeah, That oh, shows yeah. you the power of the football coach at Ohio State and this feeling of invincibility. And if this does play out as it may seem, that Urban Meyer did know, he didn't follow the protocols. Coach, this will be the wake-up call, I think, Evan. This will be the wake-up call where coaches, even Nick Saban, they realize things are not what they used to be. I am not the all-powerful Oz behind the curtain. I have people I need to answer to, and I better do it right. Now, let me interject something. The reason why this really came to light about, hey, wait a minute, what did you know and when did you know it? It has to do with Urban Meyer's wife, because apparently she got text messages from the wife of the coach who supposedly did this abuse. That's yeah. that's the evidence against Urban right. Meyer knowing back in 2015 is that there are text messages from his wife to the accused uh, the accuser uh, essentially detailing what happened. Uh it's worth noting Urban Meyer's wife is also an employee at Ohio State. Uh, so a lot of the things we've talked about about Apply Urban Meyer's obligations yep. to bring this up the chain uh, would have applied to her as so well. Let me ask you this bar. What's 
more disturbing? Which scenario is more disturbing to you? That Urban Meyer's wife told him and he did not act? Or Urban Meyer's wife did not tell him because she knew he would not want to know? Now, that's a very good question. Thank you. That is that, that's... which is the $64,000 question. If, first, let me let me start. If I don't know because you didn't tell me on purpose, it's much harder to prove that there was negligence on Urban Meyer's part than the other way around. If your wife told you and you didn't do anything and you protected the guy and you lied, well, now you have a problem. But now I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. And again, this is just a devil's advocate moment. Let's keep in mind now that Urban Meyer, he did not abuse his wife. Now, if you know somebody is abusing uh, their spouse, it at what point do you have to take responsibility? And what, and what I'm getting at is, let's say, for instance, you know a neighbor, and the neighbor's abusing the wife, and you don't call the police. At what point do you hold responsibility? But, also, but what happens if... What if, again, this is all what ifs, because this is the kind of discussions that come up out of situations like this. What if the assistant coach's wife told Urban Meyer's wife and then begged her, don't tell anybody? She didn't. The, the Urban Meyer's wife said, I need to tell Urban. But, and this woman said, okay, I understand that. And, but, and there is other evidence within Brett McMurphy's report that shows that there are other employees and employees' wives within Ohio State Athletics that were also aware of this. It yeah, certainly this was, yeah, this one seems, seems like it was as not though a this was widespread. And, and for Urban, you know, historically, this is something that's followed him around a lot. His, his teams at Florida were some of the most uh, arrested and, and in trouble with the law football teams we've seen in the past couple decades. You know, he hired Kevin Wilson from Indiana, who left Indiana for abusing players. He wanted to hire have Eben on Greg Schiano. And, and this specific coach, uh, who we're talking about overall here, was hired by Urban when Urban was aware of an incident previously yeah, previous incident, right. um, that Urban has said was not what was reported uh, to the police. Um, there, there is a lot of, of smoke here around Urban Meyer and the way that he operates programs that he runs. Did you get the, the sense, by the way, did you get a sense of entitlement when he was being asked about this sort of almost an I don't need to answer to you? Yeah, and there's there's a moment in there where he's like, uh, I don't know who would make up a story like this. Right. You know, it, it it seems clear that he is on the side of his assistant, whether he knew about the more recent incident right. or not, and that's discouraging. Very serious story. Our thanks to Bloomberg sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. Now let's get into our interview with Washington Capitals and Washington Wizards owner Ted Leonsis. He has a lengthy resume, including launching the Monumental Sports and Entertainment's Monumental Network, which offers live streaming of his NBA and NHL teams, as well as additional live events and games. Leonsis has a hands-on approach to management of his sports teams, and most recently, his Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. Hey, Michael, we can go on and on, and I think you kind of did about that impressive background. And I didn't get your card, by the way, Michael. But, Ted, thank you so much for joining us for episode number 100. Yay. And congratulations. You have longevity, and uh, that's like a league. Once you get into the 100s, you can celebrate that. Yeah, now we're going to say many more to come, many more to come. But speaking of things that last and linger, how about that Stanley Cup euphoria? How long does that last, Mr. Ted? (laughs) Um, Well, to be 
Very straightforward. Um, I did not experience euphoria when we won the cup. I experienced relief. Oh. And it wasn't until we had everyone come out for the parade and you see just uh, families and young kids and everyone uh, paying homage really to the team, the franchise, and their love of the community that I said, oh, boy, this is, this is an out-of-body experience. This is um, real, real joy. And, um, and my empathy and appreciation for teams that repeat is enormous now because if you don't make the playoffs, your season ends early April. And we had struggled to get out of the second round, and our season usually ended middle of May. And now it ended middle of June. And then you celebrate, and you, you have to do all of the things that come with winning a Stanley Cup. And then you go to this award show, and then you leave the award show, and you go to the draft, and then there's free agency, and then we had rookie camp, and you go, oh, my gosh. You're making it sound not fun. You're making this sound like it's not fun. (laughs) Oh, it's a gas, but but now recharging to get ready to defend is an enormous amount of mental and, and fr- frankly, physical healing to get there. So what Pittsburgh did, what, what Chicago did, what the Islanders did to be able to, to cluster a lot of wins uh, is really admirable. And, I mean, my respect for those teams goes up really, really dramatically because it's, it's going to be doubly hard to defend uh, just because you don't have any time to recharge and and replan, I'm very happy with our with our front office and with our our general manager because he's essentially brought the same team back, minus a couple of players. That well, he's an inspiration to my son, team. by the way. If I can cut in one second, <laughs> because John Carlson, yeah. who you resigned to a long-term deal, was a former New Jersey Rocket. Which is where he my, was that, that's at, the program my son now plays with. So everybody knows John Carlson yeah. and Jeremy Roenick were Rockets. Yeah, well, Captain America, John's a, a great player and a great leader and a great young man. And where we've been blessed is we've built a really terrific franchise, great fan base, and these terrific players wanted to stay here. They wanted to continue to play here, and they're very sincere in their understanding now that they know what it takes to win and how to win and they also know how good it felt to bring this community so close together and have us all be a part of you know this history uh, our first Stanley Cup they want to do it again and so the anticipation and the energy that will be expended going to next season will be very very high I know something you might have gotten tired of doing and I thought about this besides I sent you an email right away when the final buzzer went off congratulations but you know, I really what went through my mind was Ted doesn't have to write the letter this year because every year you wrote a letter to your fan base when the team was eliminated and in essence it said thank you and we're doing our best to get better we're disappointed but I gotta say yeah. is that I'm really amazed more owners in sports do not do this because it probably is one of the reasons you do have such a loyal fan base is that you take the time and the effort to actually 
be transparent and talk to them. Well, I don't think you can hide in um, in professional sports. And I think, um, you know, I go to all the games. I, I'm a season ticket holder. I was a season ticket holder before I, I bought the teams. And I've always said we're in it together. And if something doesn't work, especially when you have high expectations, I would expect as a customer to hear from, you know, the person who owned the restaurant or the pe- the person who owned the team to explain to me how are you feeling and what are you going to do differently and, you know, share in this pain and angst. And I certainly was able to share in all of the excitement and joy. And it was a really collective experience. And, um, you know, when you saw, I'm, I've been looking at some pictures with putting, putting together these photo books and you know, I, I would go to the away games, and when you'd see the pictures now of 50,000, 60,000 people outside our building watching the games on the big screens outside and 20,000 people inside, you just go, oh, my gosh, we struck a chord with a whole generation. And, and what's such great news for us and for the league, frankly, is that you look at these pictures and you see young people who don't get cable, right, who maybe can't afford coming into the building because of StubHub, you know, the resale prices on tickets. And to capture, if you will, the interest of those 70,000 people and seeing them wearing red T-shirts and some of them in jerseys and and watching young kids cry that, you know, this was so important to them. I think winning a championship has allowed us really to, one, create lifelong memories for young people and and families. And two, I think we have the opportunity now to capture a generation of, of sports fans who are very hard to reach at a young age because they're not you know, lining up to get cable, and and we're sold out, so it's very hard for them to get into the arena. Cord cutters and never bar, that sounds like cha-ching to me. <laughs> we're yeah. talking with Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Wizards and Capitals. You know who else cried tears of joy when the Caps won? All of the Las Vegas bookies, because if, <laughs> if the Knights won, the Golden Knights won, the first year in the league, by the way, and people had bet on them, they would have to pay out millions of dollars, and they were going to lose a lot of money. So I'm sure you've got yeah. a lot of thank you letters from, well, from all the Las Vegas they're actually There actually were about 20 whales, bettors, who had placed really big bets, and because the odds were so high... And those 20 bets uh, at the multiple on the return, yeah, they would have hurt the quarterly earnings of many of the public companies that are in that business. And, you know, it's starting to be um, a very, very big industry. We saw the recent announcement yesterday of MGM and the NBA and the WNBA entering an agreement. We we saw our investment in Sport Radar um, pay off, and you know that company be valued very, very highly as a platform for data and integrity issues. Ted, let's give some also- specifics. EQT sold 35%, valued the company at 2.4 billion dollars. That's doing something. 
That's that's yep, what you I call think that was that was undervalued. That was undervalued. And, yeah, and, explain, explain why you think moving forward in that world. You you just talked about Jim Murren said I know the value of this data and what I think I can do with it. Why do you think that's undervalued? What is ahead in terms of monetization for sports betting? Um, well, the the first thing is that as a um, as a way to get younger people who live their life on the net and with mobile phones and and iPads, streaming of the video, streaming of real-time data, gamifying that data, you know, starting out, if you will, with um, DraftKing-like applications and then working its way to not just wagering on the game and the outcome, but these uh, prop bets that are ongoing and change with what's happening with the game really helps the value of the content because sports is now being seen, if you will, as the best original content in the whole media landscape. You don't know the outcome. And many times you have to watch all three hours of the movie, binge watch it, if you will, to know what the outcome will be. And if you're interacting with that data, it makes the actual content that much more valuable to sponsors, to, to, um, um, to the networks. And then there's a whole new revenue stream, which will now make its way into the light of day, and that new revenue stream will help to create jobs. It'll help to generate tax revenues. It'll help to generate more revenue for the leagues to pay the players and the unions more. And and so to me, it's a kind of dawn of a of a new day. And all we're doing is taking an activity that was happening, but in the shadows, and bringing it into the light. And so, the announcement with MGM is more a sponsorship deal. It's more a way for a big casino who's a partner with the leagues in many ways. They own a WNBA team. Yeah, and they sponsor and the Summer League it, as well. Yep, and if you look at, at gaming and betting, women's sports around the world has very, very high value and very high engagement because there's a lot of betting that goes on on women's tennis and winter, women's golf and the like. And so, you know, I view this as for the NBA platform, we have the WNBA. You know, I want to encourage, we want to encourage every NBA team owner should have a WNBA team and a G League team and an NBA 2K team. And using that platform and a company like MGM to be able to sponsor across all of the properties and across all of the leagues, very efficient and very smart. I mean, we're seeing that. We just announced a big deal with MedStar Health here in Washington, D.C., and they'll sponsor. They, we just renamed the Kepler Capitals Iceplex, the MedStar Health Capitals Iceplex. But they're also doing and have named our little studio for NBA 2K team, and they have to have different kinds of training and preventative medicine and and research for e-games because we don't know for e-gamers, you know, how they'll get injured, how they'll keep their attention spans going, and and then 
They'll also do for our G League and, and our WNBA team in, in the new facility that's being built um, in Ward 8. And so, so we're starting to see these platform companies, different brands, different leagues, different franchises, and gaming and gambling and, and wagering and gamification with the data is going to be a big, big driver of the value that we create in the leagues for all the constituencies over the next decade. We're talking with Ted Leonsis of the Wizards and Capitals. And I have to get into esports because, and I know Scott laughs at me all the time because I remember we talked about this a year ago. No, no, no. I don't laugh at you. I laugh that your son beats you so regularly. Well, he beats the living. Well, anyway, <laughs> esports is big. And I, and I just wonder, you know, for your platforms, uh, can you talk us through what, what esports means for, for what you're trying to do? Yeah, I, I think uh, I've experienced enough in my um, business career to know that these pivots happen very, very quickly, um, where, where what is looked at as a new media soon becomes the, the real media, the mainstream media. And, you know, the best example I can give you is video games um, – 15 years ago, became a bigger industry than the movie business. Yeah. Right? So true. this shouldn't be a surprise, right? You, you go, people go to five movies a year, it's $10 each, and, and, or they, a kid would go out and buy a video game for $60, right? Plus the console and the like. And now that model changed dramatically where the social adoption of the games was huge because they became downloadable and free. And then the business model became, in the vernacular, a SaaS, a software as service, a reoccurring revenue subscription kind of business. And the creativity on the monetization of the time is off the chart. You know, Fortnite is a phenomenon like you know, we can't believe, and they did a billion dollars in their first year of business, and they're projecting $2 billion. So they're already much bigger than MLS, right? I think, um, I think their projections is in a couple of years, they could be as big as the NHL, right? $5 billion-ish kind of, of company. And so yeah, once, we- you have a, once you have a video game that builds a big community – and you have people playing and competing, once they're competing, they'll be great players, they'll become leagues, they'll be professionals, a whole industry gets born. And what we could see is that a next generation gets introduced to the NBA virtually, that they'll never go, someone in India might never go and see a professional basketball game live, may never see it on television, right, because they don't have cable. And so they're, they're playing the eSport, they're playing NBA 2K, and then that activates them to go and download or stream a game, and there'll be this big um, iTunes store in the sky, if you will, where people will just be able to watch a game. And watching that game might activate, because they know the data, they know the stats, that they might want to be 
gaming and wagering. I was going to say, and then so, they'll be betting on it. Yep, yeah. there you go. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, let's put the big so, ribbon on it. Well, so what you might end up with is that that really we're a eSports league. It's a clicks business. I likened it to I drove to the office today by the Amazon bookstore here in Washington, D.C., Okay. I was there at the birth of Amazon. <laughs> it was the world's biggest bookstore. They wanted to put a bookstore in every corner of the web. And now they have, it was a clicks business, and now it's a clicks and bricks business. And so you could see literally that that's how the NBA is, that there's only 30, 30 markets and 30 buildings, but there's billions and billions of people that are interacting with your content and streaming the video and gaming and gambling and and building that community. And so, and that's happening faster than we thought. So I know the NHL will be doing something similar. And, and it's very, very important because how can you get young people to identify with your service, your product, your brand, your players when they leave the home and they go to college, they've cut the cord. And then when they move into big cities, they are not getting cable. And so, so most people are getting connected to the leagues via esports and via via video games. Look at that, Ted. You just talked about cord nevers. That's the technical term in in sort of the cable universe, becoming cord cutters when you're talking about getting out of the home. Yeah, and when you think about it, and I've used this example with my my, um, two children, who aren't children anymore, but when I took Zach to University of Pennsylvania, we dropped him off, It was a wired building by Comcast. And so when we saw that he had that connectivity, he brought his Xbox, and I went out and bought him a television. And for the four years he was at Penn, he was playing video games, he was a big man on campus, he used Slingbox, he was watching Caps and Wizards games, and he had televisions. They'd they'd stream movies and the like, and, and that was his muscle memory was created. He then graduated. He moved into Georgetown, into an apartment. They brought his television, his Xbox with him, and he signed up for cable. Right. My daughter is four years younger, and she went to Georgetown. And when we brought her on, onto the campus of Georgetown, there was no cable connectivity. Yep. It was all wireless. And we said, Ellie, we bought Zach a television. We'll buy you a TV. And she just looked at us. She said, I have no interest in I don't in need TV. it. I don't want it, Dad. I have an iPad, right? Yeah. So she, she goes and graduates, and she moves to London. She gets a furnished apartment, and it's amazing, right, because she's, she goes to graduate school in London. She goes into an apartment that has a television and a, and a phone, <laughs> she never calls the local phone company. She never calls the cable company. She doesn't get a a um, subscription to the newspaper. The media industry in London, the most sophisticated city in the world, has no idea that she's there. Right. 
right? And, and so that's what we have to. That's what we have to battle. And and so, but video games and social media and being able to stream and getting people activated in these communities, and they do that via their their phones. And so I'm thrilled that the leagues are pushing on that. And the media companies are now starting to see that their level of engagement, their ratings go up. You know, the closer the games are, the more gaming and gambling there'll be, the more interactivity, the more third screen. We used to fear the third screen. Now we want to activate the third screen. And they're also, and I'm going to say a dirty word, especially in the Facebook community, but they're also acquiring customer data. Oh, the the data collection is really spectacular. And I think what you'll see investments in from the leagues is we, we basically have outsourced the data to the cable companies and, and to the mobile companies. But what's ridiculous to me, and, um, you know, we own a third of our um, partnership with NBC and Comcast, and they're the content side of the business. And during the Stanley Cup run, we got unbelievable ratings. I think, I think you know, during the finals, we were getting 20, 25 ratings, blowout numbers. And you say, who was watching? Who are the customers? And they'll say, men. And we go, really? Can you tell us more? Well, there you go, and men. They don't, <laughs> they don't know. Yeah, no They good. don't yeah. know because the cable company itself has the direct connection into the home, and there's less and less of those, but they're enjoined through all of the mergers back and forth with sharing that information. And so, so we go, well, that is so antithetical to the social big data world. So we as a league, we have to know everything about our customers. What we're trying to do here at Monumental, we have a database of about a million and a half people in our database. We have their credit cards. We know, you know, if they're man, woman, how old they are. Do they have children? Do they have grandchildren? We want to build customer profiles that put you into the family, if you will. So, we, Ted, but that brings me to this. Be, that brings me to this, though. You are spending a lot of money on upgrades to the arena at a time when media, in terms of revenue, is outpacing gate and in arena. So what's the future? Having You're collecting all this data. What's the future of the in-arena experience? And you had a great look at Vegas, which everybody lauded during the finals, for perhaps being the best in-arena experience in pro sports. Well, making sure that you're investing in the fidelity of the wireless and the digital connectivity in your building is going to be key. Um, it was ironic in Las Vegas that that T-Mobile Arena, owned by MGM, the, the Vegas Knights played there, people were primed to bet. The 50-50 raffles that were, they were doing for charity, yep. I think some of them were $200,000. Like oh, where were we, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> but if you wanted to bet, which people were doing, they were using their mobile phones to bet with their bookies, or offshore. Yeah. 
right? So, so that's why I keep saying indoor sports should be ascendant compared to outdoor sports. You can't have high-speed cameras and tracking and the like outside. That's why I've been investing in arena football league teams, right, and, and anything that's inside because outdoors you've got fog and rain and it's, you know, humid and it might be snowing and – and indoors, we want as much data capture with fidelity to be able to present in real time because prop betting will demand that, right? When there's a timeout and, and the coach is drawing up a play in the NBA, there'll be three or four prop bets. Um, He's going to drive to the basket. No, he's going to kick out a pass for a three-pointer. No, it's going to be a pick and roll, and he's going to go to the free throw line. He's going to. It's going to be a three-point play. Five-second call, Ted. Five-second call. There'll be all of those things. So investing digitally in your building is the smartest thing that you can do. We're going to have a prop bet one day. How long it will it take the Zamboni machine to complete the ice? That's going to <laughs> well, happen. That could be a bet. <laughs> well, it be an over-under like the anthem. There you go. Hey, Michael Jordan and I once were at a hotel, and he bet me a dollar on which elevator would come down first. I, I, right? I love and, the story, Ted, but I think I, you're lying about the amount. <laughs> everything can be gamified. And and once you have electronic wallets and, you know, tickets now, you sell a ticket and the ticket will end up having tokens in it. And, you know, you'll be able if you buy a thousand dollar ticket, you might get fifty dollars in a token that you can buy a hot dog or you can bet with. Yep, make it, so make it easy. The whole, I think the whole economy, the whole value value chain is going to pivot and change dramatically around esports and gaming and gambling and streaming. Big three right now. Ted Leonsis of the Wizards and Capitals, you are so kind to take some time out and talk with us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Takeaways. Ted Leonsis, he is a hands-on guy. guy. My goodness. And, I mean, he's down to earth, and he thinks things out very meticulously. If you you listen to his answers, he thinks everything through. He's also at the forefront. If This is one of those guys, if I was thinking about investing in sports or sports media or sports properties, anything related, I'd kind of see where is Ted putting his money, because I'd like to know. Just like he was in on Sport Radar, think about that. Leonsis, Michael Jordan, and Mark Cuban got into Sport Radar, and they only put in, I think, combined about $44 million. And then a stake of the company is sold and values Radar at $2.4 billion. And we see now the MGM NBA deal, and you know more are coming, and you wait to see just how much money this sports betting is going to generate. And Ted is at the forefront of it. Everything he sees, whether it's an arena league team, think about what he said. You know, a lot of people see indoor sport here or arena league or whatever, WNBA. He's not looking at it, oh, well, TV rating. He's looking at it in an ecosystem of sports betting and engagement, and he thinks all of them, particularly the indoor sports, as he said, the place to be to make some money. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. 
Time now for the number of the week. 100 squared. 100 squared? Like I have to do the math in my Well, head? the reason why. Am I adding because like one, I'm, I'm, 100 I'm episodes? being very loose. Yes, I'm oh, being yeah, very loose. Yeah. I know we, we kind of foreshadowed it last week. But this week, we have completed the 100th episode. We can go into syndication now. We should go into syndication now. <laughs> what does that get you and me? Well, ask Ted. How do, we, how do we capitalize on the syndication of the Bloomberg Business Support Show? No, I, and I really do mean it. It's Man, it has been a ball. Flown by only felt like 96. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have some of the best partners in the world. You, Eben, Medina, Colin. Richard, I just Whoa, you guys you, are great. You're including Tipton and Truman? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I mean, they because may be on the other side of the glass right now. We don't know, but Medina I'll recognize. Here, when we say here for you each and every week, that's Medina. <laughs> Truman and Tipton, I mean, even though I am barring a lawnmower from one of them, not here for me each and every week. <laughs> You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, and we are here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. Big Bar, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. Thank you